Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law, and with me, as always, the inestimable Ellie Mistal. I've realized that since now I do TV sometimes, I can no longer eat lunch with my shirt on. I don't understand how there's a connection there. Because the risk of oh. getting my lunch on my shirt is so great. That's fair. And my backup shirts are in Westchester. What but I, mean, I have to eat lunch in my undershirt now. You should probably keep a backup shirt here. I was thinking that, but then you also have to realize that I have two kids and don't have the flow for like extra shirts, right? They're either... They're the ones that are clean. They're the ones that are in the cleaners and they're no other ones. You know, okay. So I guess this is what your complaining is turning into. I have advice on this. So you can actually get pretty reasonably priced shirts. They're not like the thing that you would necessarily want to go into a big law firm with, but for TV purposes, especially when you have a jacket over it and a tie, very little of the shirt's showing, you can get like 10 buck shirts. I don't I don't roll with a tie. My style doesn't work with a tie. Fair enough. I need that open collar, double chin thing going on Fair. to well, really get into my groove. Well, okay. Well, then you would see some of the shirt. But again, at that point, the chin's going to detract enough. So you can get by <laughs> with just a $10 shirt, I think. I mean, you're right. I mean, like the other thing, right, is that you don't want to like, it's pathetic, right, to like, buy a TV wardrobe because then when TV stops calling, then you just got a bunch of $10 shirts that you don't need. Oh, baby, you're a firework. They're they're never going to stop calling. (laughs) No, uh, You just want me to put a shirt on while I eat my French fries. That's all you want. No, no. I I see your game. I really don't. I really don't care. I'm at at this point in our lives, I'm comfortable with the fact that you're not wearing a shirt while you record this. And I'm sure our audience now is too. But no, so that's the thing that happened in our lives. So that's this conversation. And that was Ellie grinding his gears about ketchup. Uh, (laughs) Let's take a quick break and then we will bring in our guest and we'll talk a little bit about uh, matrimonial law. Ooh. Wondering what lies ahead on the road to success? Whether you're looking to advance your legal career or grow your legal team, Major Lindsay Africa can help you navigate the legal landscape. With more than 35 years of experience in legal recruiting, Major Lindsay helps law firms and legal departments thrive in today's ever-changing market that matches lawyers and legal professionals with opportunities where they can flourish. Learn more at www.mlaglobal.com. Okay, we're back. So today we have with us Lisa Green. Lisa is a lawyer, legal analyst, and author. She wrote the book On Your Case, which is a legal guide for every stage of a woman's life. You have seen her on MSNBC. She is a matrimonial lawyer by trade, but a Trump analyst by night. And we're very happy to have her on. Hi, Lisa. Hi, guys. Hi. So look, I want to jump right in with something that we, you and I have talked about before. For a lot of people who are watching Trump, trying to analyze Trump, trying to figure out why Trump is doing what he's doing, why he seems so reluctant to admit what I think most people believe to be true, even his supporters, about his dalliations with various uh, Playboy models and adult film stars. We have a theory as, as to why he's reluctant to talk about this. I think most people's theory doubles right back to Melania, right? What's waiting for him at home if he dares to speak about his Playboy proclivities. And I've heard that theory, and you and I have talked about that theory, and 
booking producers have tried to book me to talk about that theory. And I guess I'm here to tell you that given what I know about prenuptial agreements and postnuptial agreements, and given what we know, we've learned about President Trump's legal skills, I'm going to give him a lot of credit and say that while you wouldn't necessarily want him representing you if, say, you were subject to a special counsel investigation, you wouldn't necessarily want to work with him if, let's say, you were a fixer slash lawyer who had worked (laughs) with him on various business dealings over the past decades and kept some notes and records and had a telephone that you later found out was tapped. But the one place where I think Donald Trump really could do you a solid is in matrimonial law, because in fact, his background indicates that he's a master of the prenuptial agreement. And for that reason, I would be incredibly surprised if he gave way to Melania or really any of his three wives when it came to restricting not only his freedom to speak, but the amount of money they could drag out of his wallet. What makes a good prenuptial agreement? Like what makes... What makes one better than another one? Because, um, you know, from a certain perspective, you're simply talking about, you know, it's a simple contract that has kind of a penalty if you guys break up. Like, what's a good version of that versus a bad version of that? Yeah, I mean, you know, as you'd imagine, it's state-specific, right? Because you get married by the powers of someone officiates here in New York, and the powers are vested in them by the state of New York. And that's true in the 49 other states. So states may have different specificities about what you can include, but the best prenuptial agreements exclude certain things, right? So you cannot agree in a prenup about how to raise children that you had together when you were married. Judges don't like to see individuals substituting their judgment for the state because they fear that two parents are going to make some pretty bad decisions about their kids. And in fact, if you've ever known anyone who's been divorced or been divorced yourself, it does tend to shade your judgment. So they're not going to necessarily enforce decisions about child support or custody without giving them a second look. They will allow decisions about like which religion you might raise a child in or who gets to decide about orthodontia and other rearing decisions. But when it comes to custodial decisions, they're going to want to vote. Another common misconception about the prenup is that you can throw just about any requirement in that really would represent your preference for how your spouse should behave. So you read in our city's finer tabloids about prenups that include weight ranges, sort of like what NFL cheerleaders seem to have to go through, you know, constantly starving themselves because they gain a couple of pounds or thrown off the team. You can throw them off a football cheerleading team, but you can't throw someone out of your marital residence because your prenup says they couldn't, you know, enjoy a delicious lunch with or without (laughs) their shirt. Similarly, (laughs) other types of behavior, including requirements to have sex certain amounts of times, generally not enforceable in court. You may be able to use moral suasion to persuade your spouse to behave in certain ways, but you can't expect a court to enforce it for you. One of the flip sides of the Melania issue is that people are saying, well, the reason why she's still with him is because of the prenup. I like to point out that in New York, at least, you know, she's got Barron and that should be enough. Like I can't put like this. I can't imagine her not being able to maintain the lifestyle that she's become accustomed to when she has a child in New York State, and I know other states are don't take child support quite as seriously as New York does. Is that your impression as well? Yeah, I mean, I certainly agree with you that a New York court would be inclined to be really supportive of Melania's needs. She obviously doesn't work outside the home. Her son is still a minor. I think he's 11 or 12 years old and wouldn't be yanked out of private school, for example, as she was rendered penniless should they decide to split. But I think there's something else here that, you know, I'm happy to speculate about with you guys because it would just be interesting. And that is, is there a postnup somewhere in the vault that represents 
Melania's decision that she's in a much better bargaining position vis-a-vis her husband than she was when they got married. I, I vividly remember reading about that wedding, you know, because it was third time the charm for Donald Trump, then a <laughs> private citizen, and thinking to myself, at this point, her prenup must be like two euros and a one-way ticket back to Slovenia, because what bargaining power did she have? She was wife number three, and, you know, he had been down this path before, and as I say, I think he was pretty skilled at tiering his prenup so that if a marriage didn't last that long, which I think was the case with wife number two, the amount of money she got was limited. This guy knew the score. But I do think Melania's bargaining position improved significantly once he took office. And and that was before any of the disclosures about Stormy Daniels, these NDAs, which I still am convinced are form contracts that may well have been used in more than one or two instances. Perhaps we'll find that out. And if I'm Melania facing that kind of garbage, I'm calling my lawyer and saying, you know, I think I can get a better deal here. What inducement can I be provided in exchange for patiently sitting quietly and occasionally smiling at state dinners? And who knows? Again, pure speculation. The only people who know a marriage are the people who are in it. But one can imagine a spouse under these conditions thinking, perhaps my compensation needs to improve both during the marriage and then certainly if anything were to change our minds about the marriage. I want to make sure I'm well cared for when I recover from the maelstrom that was the presidency of Donald Trump with me as first lady. I mean, Joe, that's what we've all done at work, right? I think we've all gone to our boss and been like, if you want us to cover Donald Trump, we're going to need a new employment contract. (laughs) You know, know, at at this point, I think we just all need Dramamine because I'm just having motion sickness every day. Well, I mean, I I think that it's gotten much more entertaining with the addition of Rudy. Uh, It just just has added that one extra. I apologize for the sirens in the background. Incredibly, Rudy is on point because he, too, has been married more than once and has ended marriages under really weird circumstances. I don't know if you guys were in New York when he and Donna Hanover, I think they announced their divorce. He announced it like publicly at Gracie Mansion, if memory serves. And, you know, that's just not a conventional, quiet, behind the scenes maneuvering that matrimonial lawyers' clients prefer. So (laughs) they may have an affinity in the matrimonial front as well. Like the third member of this uh, divorcee triumvirate, um, in Trump world is Don Jr. That looks like it's starting to get ugly, the breakup between uh, Don Jr. And, and Vanessa. And there was a report recently that he's trying to figure out her net worth. Is that is that an attempt to get out of their prenup? Like, what what's going on with Don? Because so far, Vanessa seems like she, she knew the game perhaps better than Don Jr. did. Yeah, I mean, it started off nice and quiet, and they issued a joint statement, which is like the Activity du jour, you may remember at some point, once everything calmed down, Brad and Angelina. Remember them back in the day when we had time to think about celebrity matrimonial Uh, issues? Feels like (laughs) so long ago. They eventually issued a joint statement, you know, to protect our family. I'm paraphrasing. We'd appreciate if people left us the heck alone. And and I thought Don Jr. and Vanessa were going to have a similar route. I think there was some reporting about a possible dalliance Don Jr. had with maybe a contestant. Am I getting that right? On a... The Apprentice or a reality show, I I don't want to speculate. And then, yeah, you know, it's commonplace in acrimonious breakups for each side to do a little forensic digging. You just want to see what the other side has. And depending on whether they have a prenup, I'm not certain, assuming they do, you might make a play to say that whatever money I promised my spouse 
is no longer necessary. But I must say, by and large, in the state of New York, judges are loath to overturn them. I mean, there are some hairy stories. I recount them in my book of, for example, a not famous woman who was told to go to her husband's lawyer's office. One of the lawyer's partners supervised her as she sobbed and signed a really one-sided prenup. Uh, That was a circumstance that got a court thinking this might have been done under duress. But short of that kind of telenovela level drama, it really generally doesn't work if you go back to the court and say, you know, I don't like this deal so much anymore. And then like claim it was duress when it really wasn't. Why is that though? Because it seems like prenuptial agreements are are almost always signed under duress, almost always signed with unequal bargaining power? Like, why is there such a strong presumption to enforce them? Well, I guess I'd say like pulling the lens back all the way, right? Contract law. I mean, when a contract is well crafted and both sides are represented by counsel and they sign it, I would suppose there's kind of a judicial preference for maintaining the orderly rule of law and recognizing that contracts mean something. And I don't think we're in a post-truth contract world quite yet, right? So if you look at a prenuptial agreement as a contract, granted it's a contract that usually follows a really happy event with flowers and gowns and gifts and drunk toasts and all sorts of good stuff. Yeah, like (laughs) you name it. But it's still, at its heart, it's a contract. And I think courts want to enforce them when they can, right? And not differentiate. So I think that's one reason. And I guess I would take issue with something you said, which is I think in a lot of instances, and certainly it's the advice I like to give, prenups are really more useful in marriages between somewhat more mature people who tend to each have amassed wealth Mm. or assets. And particularly in cases, I'm thinking now of people who get remarried when there are kids involved, kids who might be a little bit older than I'm guessing yours are, Ellie, old enough so that when the new spouse comes in the picture, they're just looking at them with daggers and thinking, this person's coming for my money. You know, <laughs> I was counting on mom or dad to hand it over when they passed away. So the remarriage can create a ton of personal dynamics, very unpleasant ones. And it's my belief that signing a prenup in those instances when each person may have a fairly equal amount of dough, just to kind of lay a roadmap out so the kids can all get along at Thanksgiving. Oh, that's an interesting way of it. I've never nice really thought way about of putting it. it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It- I mean, not to be cynical, but I think, you know, in the mature relationship, in the rebound relationship, in the second act relationship, there are a much bigger cast of characters. And right. sometimes you just need to placate them because what they see for, I mean, the whole notion that children, even adult children, look at their parents and think, oh, they were divorced, but now they're so happy with this new person, I think is really a myth. I think they pretty much are understandably, it's human nature, protective both of their parent and I think significantly of whatever that parent has managed to squirrel away. And the last thing they want to see is some interloper swooping in at the you know 11th hour to collect the winning. So the prenup can give peace of mind in that area. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah food uh, for thought, you, guys. Food you, for thought. You've, broke, you've broken Ellie. He's He's incomplete. Like he's rolling around. <laughs> collect the winnings. He's thinking, do I need a prenup? Dear God. You don't know. No one needs to do it. No, I mean, no, no. by the way. But Christine might. By the way, um, New York New York courts are happy to divide up your stuff, you know, with no prenup at all. There's plenty of domestic relations law that you can not you both of you guys, but one can look to with hired counsel to kind of figure it out. But of course the whole reason for the prenup is you want to avoid having a court tell you what you get when you can make your own decision. I wouldn't imagine you'll suggest just, but I'll just throw this out there. So, you know, above the law, we have a lot of lawyers reading us, a lot of big law attorneys reading us. 
you wouldn't suggest uh, a lawyer representing themselves in their prenup, right? Just because they're an M&A lawyer doesn't mean that they should be the ones writing their own prenup, right? Um, yeah, I'll tell you what, like now I'm remembering being a baby lawyer at a big law firm, which will remain unnamed, although they treated me reasonably decently, sitting with a partner as one does with the chair that's slightly lower. So the partner looms above you. And this partner was marking up the catering contract for his wedding, right? And he was marking it up like it was a draft of a deal document and, and no particularity was left, you know, untouched by his deft pen. And I just thought to myself, Really? (laughs) No. Short answer to your question, no. Do not represent yourself in your divorce. No. In part because sometimes, depending on whether you're the initiator or the initiatee, if that's a word, emotion can get in the way of clear thinking, and that's just never going to be helpful. You really want someone who's pretty dispassionate to say, like, I know your instinct is to have a scorched earth result here. Probably not a good idea. Save a few dollars and let me tell you how it should go. Yeah. We definitely have known people in that sort of situation, right? Uh, the scorched yeah, earth Yeah, it's surprisingly common. Is this too depressing? Should we talk about like a happier thing? Like, I don't know, living wills or do not resuscitate orders? Because I've got yeah. chapters on those stuff too. <laughs> yeah, like if your kid's yeah, arrested, my- you know, should you get a criminal defense attorney for your kid? What happens if, you know, your eggs are frozen and someone loses them or steals them? But yeah, law, yeah. this is why law is so much fun. In the yeah, <laughs> matrimonial law makes it sound like, oh, it's about this happy event. And it's really the exact opposite. Matrimonial law means everything's gone wrong. In a more general sense, that was kind of my next question. So how does one go from baby big law lawyer to matrimonial lawyer? Uh, like matrimonial lawyer sounds like one of those things that like you might say as a 2L, oh, I'm really interested in this. And then not actually have any idea how to how to get into that practice or get into that field. Yeah, I mean, guys, I mean, this story is so weird. It would seem apocryphal. It's not. I went to NYU and, and this woman in my class, a 2L, said, you know, I, I really want to have a family someday, so I think I'm going to go into family law. And I was like, hmm, it's not really the connective tissue that you would. Any, anyway, I just, Both I don't know what became of her. Both of the same word, but... <laughs> yeah, I was like, one of these things doesn't follow the next. So anyway, full disclosure... I don't specifically practice matrimonial law, so here's how I came to write a book in which I give, not advice, because that's a bar violation, right? But I explain different options people have about family law. I practiced law and big law for a while. Then I went to uh, NBC News, where I worked as a lawyer for the news division and a producer. And I guess I've just tried through the years, and I'm guessing you guys did too, to take the law degree and not make it such an albatross so that I felt oppressed by it and just look for ways to use the knowledge and some experiences I've had. I've gone through a divorce, although it was quite amicable in the end, and also had a lot of women friends who are really, and maybe surely guys do this too, you have this constant information swap of ideas. You know, if you break a bone, if you need a mortgage, if you are changing apartments, need a good hairdresser, and women knew a million different places to go. And when it came to law, people seemed really clammed up and uncertain in my circles where, you know, lots of people I know have law degrees. So I thought maybe I'll write a book like an omnibus guide for women who don't have any friends who are lawyers, like sometimes because who wants to be friends with lawyers and sometimes because they're just not in that circumstance. And that's how the book came about. So I interviewed Tons and tons of lawyers, including matrimonial lawyers, some really skilled ones. There are some great organizations with superior matrimonial lawyers where people can go and look for counsel who they like and just collected a lot of stories off of Nexus, Lexus, 
TMZ, you name it, and kind of came to a conclusion about general principles, most of which revolve around this piece of advice. Don't assume nothing bad will ever happen to you. Sometimes legal documents, I'm thinking wills, I'm thinking healthcare proxies, sometimes a prenup seem kind of gnarly and scary, but they actually are a real gift to your family and to yourself and to your loved ones because it lays things out. They're not left in chaos land. You've actually given them some guidance about how you'd like to see things go. And I mean, I don't know about you guys. I'm super sassily judgmental about everything. So why wouldn't I want to be judgmental from beyond the grave? Like, hey, I may be dead, but here's how you're going to divide up my stuff. So (laughs) I want to take that opportunity. I'm totally with you on that advice. My uh, my father recently passed away. And when you know I talk about chaos land, man left no will, one wife, one girlfriend, one mistress. None of these people are my mother, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. It's absolutely like my sister and I are trying to go through the probate process. And it's just absolutely. Right. Luckily, I'm me. And so I'm just kind of like, I don't care who you give us stuff to. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And look, you know, that obviously is a real issue. And I certainly understand why people, perhaps your father was among them, just don't want to think about something that's depressing, although inevitable. But certainly, you know, that story just reinforces my point, which is it's altruistic in a way, to say, let me take a little time and, you know, meet with someone and do this document. It doesn't have to be fancy, right? I mean, unless we're like billionaires or founders of, you know, IPO'd companies, most of us can kind of contain our description of available assets in a pretty simple form-like way and then just sign it and find someone who's a notary. I'm a notary. Come look for me. And then, um, You've got it. It's done. I think especially once you have kids. Joe doesn't have kids. And I, I imagine when you die, it's just going to be to the strongest. Right. Yeah. Like just... yeah. I mean, so long as there's a Viking pyre, yeah. I feel good. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. that for sure would be a plus. But, yeah, if you have kids, it's good housekeeping. Right. To kind of think about it. It's part of those really fun tidying up things you do, like sign up for your 401k. And, you know, none of them win the fun award, but that doesn't mean they're not kind of useful. So in yeah, that way, that's... the law's your friend. That's a great place to end it. Yeah. You're going to die. Don't be a dick about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come on. I think we found the tag for the episode. <laughs> Lisa, thank you so much um, for your time and for coming on and talking with us. That is our show. If I'm, I don't have any other ads to read, right? You should mention also that you can follow us. Oh, you can, you can do that still. Oh, yeah. You can read Above the Law, which is a great place to read these sorts of things. You can follow Ellie at Ellie NYC. I'm at Joseph Patrice. You should review the show, write awesome things, stop random strangers on the street, grab them by the lapels and yell, please listen to this show. Those sorts of things. Uh, You can do all of that. And those reviews help us out. And uh, that, I think, is pretty much everything that needs to happen. So thanks for listening, everybody. And we will be back soon. Please subscribe. I need new shirts. Yes, he needs... Daddy needs a new shirt. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you later. If you'd like more information about what you heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own. 
and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.